0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI Podcast episode, I talk with Luke Aragoni about the impact of AI and deep machine learning on human capital. Luke Aragoni, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations
1: Podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited to explore a really important timely topic. It's one we've discussed on the podcast before, and I always love when I get uh, an expert in this area because it's it's just a really deep conversation, and it, it's one that needs to be had uh, as we learn more and more. We're going to be talking about the impact of AI and deep machine learning on human capital in the world of work. As we get started, I wanted to share Luke's bio with everybody. Over the last 15 years, Luke Aragoni has worked with some of the top brands in the United States building machine learning and data science programs, even before there was such a term. He worked with companies such as UPS, J&J, Getty, at and Stryker, Goldman Sachs, Fox, uh, Sephora, along with many, many others. He has media experience explaining to audiences at Bloomberg, Wired, and others on topics such as data's impact on politics, machine learning, blockchain, and other ways that technology intersects in a big way in everyone's day-to-day life. And Luke, I could go on and on, uh, but I suspect knowing uh, you a little bit and how we've talked in the pre-interview, you'd prefer we just get on with the conversation. So uh, before we get going further, anything else you would like to add
1: by way of your background or...
0: Uh, we can No, I mean on. that's
1: that was great. Thanks for that intro.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's let's start off uh, a little bit with your background. Uh, like like I said in the, in the bio, you're an expert in machine learning and data science and you've worked with lots of companies in this area and again you've talked with organizations about the impacts of of big data, you know, on our everyday lives. Tell us a little bit about why you got into this area. Uh, why it's important to you, and why you feel like it's an important dialogue we need to be having as we continue to move into this field further.
1: Yeah, so I I kind of fell into it. I, um, I was a math major, and I'm completely self-taught when it comes to computers, uh, but uh, I realized maybe 10 or 15 years ago that there could be profit made from all the data that's collected, whether it's trying to predict the right item for the right audience at the right time, or even, you know, uh, you know, trying to hedge like insurance plans, like can we offer this kind of you know, financial product for people, but whatever it may be, uh, we had lots of lots of data and no one really knew what to do with it. And back then it was, you know, can I create a line of best fit like these old school math you know, techniques, this linear algebra and very boring. I won't, I won't get too far into that, but it was cool. Because you could basically apply this real academic principle to real practical data and outcomes like an industry changing piece of technology. And I love that combination that like, let me combine this kind of boring dry thing with boring dry data and what comes out is like a brain on your product. So I, I got pretty addicted to that and I've been doing that for you know, a while now.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Uh, and as you get more into the space and you're helping organizations better understand how they can utilize big data uh, to drive strategic decision-making uh, and and how they interface with their with their key constituencies and uh, their customers, various stakeholders, uh, what were some, especially early on, you know, we've developed a lot over the last 10, 15 years, what were some of the biggest challenges and how have you seen those roadblocks and challenges start to go away as you know, our computing power and memory and, and the cost associated with all these things has has changed.
1: You know, it was it was really fascinating. Maybe 10 years ago now, um, we had the the first blockchain boom, right? Where people were buying GPUs en masse to try and process bitcoins. Uh, I was like 2012, 2013-ish. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna hit, you know, Bitcoin's gonna hit fifty dollars or at a hundred dollars, like. We're talking triple digit, and it finally had cracked, and people were talking about a 1,000, and and I I bring all this up because there was a real big boom in GPU power then, where everyone really wanted more GPU power. They wanted it um, in in a more consumable way, where you could put four or five GPUs in a single machine, and and this drove the market to create these really fast uh, GPUs. And before this age, you know, people had come up with neural nets and, you know, large companies like Google had been doing this, but with specialized hardware. But now after anyone can go to Best Buy and buy a, a graphics card that can build a neural net, I mean, that, that was pretty that was pretty changing for our industry. So maybe, you know, a little bit after that, a couple of years after that, it became real commonplace where I can build a, a you know, a, a neural network that would otherwise require a thousand CPUs, but instead I can put in a single card in my machine and, you know, I can build something, I can experiment. I could just see, hey, is this even going to work? And it'd be affordable, you know, a few hundred dollars then. And uh, that was, I think, the, the biggest barrier breaker for our industry was getting real cheap computation in the form of GPUs.
0: Yeah. So as that, as the price of that has continued to go down and access has gone up, now you, you have everyone and their dog able to, to do this, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So the democratization of, you know, big data and, and computing power, you know uh, that that's been a big part of, as we've also seen, you know, the, the, the growing, the growth of, of the internet and, and, uh, and social networks and, uh, you know all, all of those things connected with it, right? And so now, and that drives more big data and so on and so forth. so so organizations are trying to grapple with how to how to do this and and in comes AI and deep machine learning. Like you said, originally, you know we're we're kind of old school math um, techniques, and over time we get more into these AI algorithms. Tell us a little bit more about that, and then we can start to get into you know the impact on human capital and living. yeah, of
1: course. So then, of course, from that computation, that burst of computation came frameworks. We got frameworks like TensorFlow and PyTorch. And these were, you know, Promethean foundations for our industry, right? Like these things came and everyone was like, wow, I can build a neural net in 20 minutes. So you had the, uh, you talk about capital, right? The human capital part. You had people with um, a moderate amount of technical ability being able to run um, in 20 minutes on you know cheap hardware, and the foundations for an entire industry were born. Right, taking a middle tiered technical talent, tying them up with a middle cost piece of hardware that could change your businesses. You know, you, you only get that once in a generation when it comes to technology.
0: Yeah, and as this continues, the adoption of AI and deep machine learning continue, you know, by businesses continues to grow and grow over, over the last decade. Um, and, and it just occurred to me, perhaps it's it's worth taking just a moment to differentiate, you know, we use these terms, AI, machine learning, deep machine learning um, a lot. Uh, can you lay out for us a little bit about what those mean,
1: what the differences are? Absolutely. So we'll, we'll talk about like, um, you know, the nomenclature here, right? Uh, there's an umbrella that everyone calls artificial intelligence, and that's like the, the top umbrella. It's the top tier. And underneath AI, uh, you have, you know, machine learning is one branch, is one thing. But if I wrote a million if-then statements, I mean, technically, that would be considered AI. There's lots of strategies for AI, but the one that everyone is really interested in is machine learning. So you have AI, this is the top, and then underneath it is machine learning. Then underneath machine learning, you have supervised machine learning, which are most neural networks, where you have the answer in your data and you have all the data that would support that answer. So let's say we wanted to predict, um, we'll say we wanna predict an earthquake, right? Very black and white type problem. We have all this uh, seismic data, and then we have the event that a, uh, an earthquake happened, right? So what we'd say is we'll take all the seismic data beforehand, and then the answer when the actual earthquake happened in the past, um, tie them together, shove them into a neural network, and that would be a supervised machine learning AI problem. So we kind of work up the hierarchy that way.
0: So we we are able to utilize AI and machine learning uh, to solve business problems and to to do some of the work uh, that businesses need to do. And so that's where it really gets interesting when we start to talk about human capital. I mean, there's it's interesting in so many ways. but from the 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 focus of human capital, we we then start to get into all these concerns that people have. Around the disruption of labor and the displacement of labor, and now all these things I used to do in my job, now machines can do it. Now, I mean, automation is not a new issue as it relates to labor; it's been happening since the, you know, how the the Industrial Revolution. But uh, this is a new kind of way that we're displacing labor, isn't it? And so it now we we have uh, machine learning that can start to do a lot of the rote types of things and and actually do them more consistently do them better than human beings and so so a lot of what I may have done previously in my job now there you know there's an algorithm that can do that or there's uh there's various disruptive technologies that can that you can buy as a as a business and uh it takes the place of your labor costs and so what does that mean for workers uh, moving into the future of work—that's the big question—and there's, right. you know, lots of these big industry reports uh, that have come out in recent years that are predicting, you know, eighty percent displacement of tasks and skills, and and what will employees be doing in, in future organizations? All, you know, a lot of kind of fear mongering uh, that talking heads have been doing, and ultimately the question then becomes. Really, you know, in reality, as you sit there as an expert in AI and machine learning, what what do you feel like is the future of the impact of this technology on human capital, on the labor force, and what? And then we can start to get into like what can we do as people in the labor force to upskill and reskill ourselves so we're relevant, you know, moving into the future. So you know, five years, ten years, twenty years from now, we are still employable, we still can contribute
1: to the economy so this is why I was really looking forward to our conversation this morning because this is something I'm pretty passionate about and I actually have experience with uh, so there's two there's two groups uh, or two two lines of thought that get interrupted by AI the first is the one you mentioned which is uh, human labor will be uh, augmented or replaced by automation that's powered by AI. But there's a second way that most people don't think about that one of my clients, uh, at and actually had me build, which is um, AI to try and prevent higher fire events.
0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy,
1: If your company is really, really large, it's actually expensive to hire and fire people. It's better to take someone from one group and put them on another one. So we talk about upskilling, right? They literally wanted to build a program. They have this university program they have internally. And it's designed so that if someone wanted to upskill from, let's say, a data analyst to a data scientist, they'd be able to do that. And we'd be able to watch them with data along the way. So that when a new team is formed somewhere at AT&T, they can say, hey, we've been watching this person basically power through the data science classes. Instead of you hiring, why don't you go interview this person on another team and move them over, right? And then, um, you know, likewise, let's say that someone isn't excelling in their role, but they're really interested in other products or other, you know, technologies. Instead of firing them, you can move them to a team where they actually can be productive. And so if you think about um, AI as, Helping people play the enormous chess game of resourcing with humans, uh, you can actually think about it as being this kind of incredible tool, right, where people end up in the places they want to be. As long as they're communicating and, and somehow interacting with that AI, like for the people that never went to that university, that at university that they built, there was no way for us to gather any signal. So for the people that did interact with it, they got to the place they wanted to be. And it was an enormously successful program for them uh, having that. So I guess to go back to the original question like how do you how do you upskill in a way that would prevent yourself from being automated um that's that's a real big question I think there's two things that are fundamental to human nature that'll that'll take a very long time if ever to be replaced by AI and that's creative work and it's also uh, really I know it sounds funny but like the mathematics behind AI so like understanding really fundamentally how the universe works how our reality works with math or with science is something that's going to be very, very helpful. Um, you know, because you will eventually have to teach the machines this right. And then when it comes to creativity, you know, any form of art whatsoever, even great copy on a marketing website, that still is going to be something that uh, AI struggles with, even though there's lots of startups that will help you build marketing, the best marketing, right. The, the marketing that that makes its way into a marketing book 20 years from now, That's like, wow, remember that campaign? Those ones will still not be written by AI. So as you reach out in your job, if you think, wow, this thing is really just rote and I'm just doing the same action over and over again, you're in jeopardy of getting replaced. But the good news is if you think about, well, how do I be creative in the thing I'm doing? How do I either go that direction or how do I become more fundamental in what I'm doing? Like, What is the basis, the theory of what I'm doing? Uh, If you go in either of those directions, you will end up finding a safe harbor in a place where your skill sets are the opposites, very much in demand. You get paid a fortune for it. So I would would consider those two paths no matter what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. And I love how you're working uh, to utilize this big data from an HR perspective to help with the human capital within the organization. Because it was actually
1: the HR department that hired me.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so HR in the the role of, of data analytics and uh, HRIS and the use of technology in HR has been something that has been growing, you know, in, in recent decades, really over the last 10 to five years in particular, you know, organizations, especially the really large ones, they're trying to figure out how to do exactly what you just mentioned, because hiring um, people going through the recruitment process, hire, making hiring decisions, uh, and then going through the onboarding and 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 really ingraining someone into the organization, getting them productive, that's super expensive, like you said. And then when people leave, you know, the cost uh, associated with turnover is huge. And so, attracting and retaining really good talent is really really important. And it's it's an important. Especially right now, you know, people talk about the great resignation or the great awakening or whatever you want to call it. The reality is it's a tight labor market organizations are having a hard time getting good skilled people. And so you can't afford to, you know, there's not a great fit to just let someone go. Uh, Maybe there's not a great fit in the current position that they're in, like you were talking about. That doesn't mean they can't be a great person somewhere else in the organization, or maybe they just were hired at the wrong level. Like, you know, know, maybe, you know, a lot of times people get hired into managerial or supervisory roles and they suck as (laughs) managers or leaders, but they're actually really good with the technical skill to be able to do, you know, the job, maybe a rung down, uh, so to speak, or whatever, like their principal, right? Exactly. Like there's so many different places that you can utilize people and, you know, in an economy where you have a gazillion applicants for every position, you know, you, you you can let labor go. You can catch the fish and then let it go, right? And you don't need to worry about it. But right now, like you just can't do that. And as as we're moving into the future of work, I think more and more organizations have to be very mindful of that. And this whole upskilling and reskilling thing is only going to continue um, as. You know, it's, it's just like every other form of automation and disruption that has happened throughout the different waves of the Industrial Revolution. People talk about how we're in the fourth wave right now. you have to like people will have work that they do disrupted and, displ- and displaced, right? Uh, machines can do it. They can do it better, more consistently, faster, more uh, just better for the organization. So as that happens, does that mean humans are obsolete? Humans don't need to work anymore? Of course not. It just means they're going to be doing different things, and there's they're going to be doing things we haven't even thought of yet. You know, uh, in yep. in the creation of new jobs, and new industries, and new you know, all sorts of stuff. Right? We just don't, haven't even conceived of it yet. But the question then is, well, what do you do when when the pace of change is so rapid? Uh, how do you reskill and upskill people to keep up with the pace of change so that you can continually be moving into uh, the, fu- the future of technology and of work and, and everything around that? And so, what you were describing at ATT is a really great approach. Uh, you utilize big data, you utilize um, algorithms and AI machine learning to be able to help you make those decisions and to, to align people better. And, and you can proactively do it. So you don't even need to wait for the person to say, I really am interested in this. I, I want to go into this. You can start to you know, predict those things, and you can start to mm-hmm. to ping people, and you can start to nudge them in the directions where they seem to have real aptitudes or where they, they seem to have interests. You can start to get them involved in projects that will help them grow and stretch and develop. All of those things can and should be happening with organizations already, uh, and machine learning can just help you do it better, faster, more efficiently. Right.
1: At a large scale, like they had At a large thousand employees. Like that's right. It's impossible to have one person HR trying to upskill a hundred thousand people. Right. Um, yeah. So you, you, you nailed it 100%. The
0: the other thing in relation to that, the scaling issue that you just mentioned, you know, this is of course hard for any organization. It's going to be particularly hard for large organizations. And then what you end up having are generic uh, skill development programs and organizations that you know, employees tend to just roll their eyes at, you know, right? Like, I don't really see the value in this. So I'm going to do it if you tell me I have to do it. I'm, you know, maybe if I think it might position me for the next promotion, I might do it. But, you know, it's it's hard to get wide scale adoption of, of things when they just seem completely generic. Uh, but the, one of the really nice things about adaptive learning technologies uh, that are driven in large part by AI and machine learning is that you, you can tailor the learning experience uh, with the tools that you have uh, so that people feel like it's customized to them. It's it's adaptive to them, uh, which makes it more meaningful and engaging for them. Uh, and they're
1: gonna be more likely to utilize it. Absolutely. And you know just to kind of dovetail on that, if anyone's listening and they think, man, I'm too old to reskill or upskill, you should consider an important fact, which is for myself and many other people listening, their job didn't exist 20 years ago. Like my job didn't have a title. It didn't, no one could have conceived of it. A data scientist sounds like something like your kid made up, right? Like it's, that's not a real title. That's not a real thing. 20 years ago, it just doesn't make any sense, right? That's like being, I don't even know. I kid, there's no even comparison to it. So if we consider the fact that many of us are in positions that we couldn't even conceive of 20 years ago, Um, imagine what maybe 10 years looks like. And if you spent one or two years or three years prepping for that, um, you may be in a position, um, in a great position to get one of these new kinds of positions that pays well and is very insulated from AI. So I wouldn't consider anyone being too old for any kind of thing, especially given that right now it's not the 1500s where like you are a shoemaker for 150 years, like your whole family line is shoemakers. It's not that way anymore. Every 10 years, there's a whole new career position field industry. Like the internet 40 years ago wasn't even a thing, right? I mean, it was, but it wasn't like an industry, right? It was like a bunch of people joking around and sending big, large medical files to each other and the military using it, right? Like that wasn't e-commerce. So if we consider that we're we live in a time where it's easy to basically be part of a brand new wave of skill sets. I'd encourage everyone to think, man, I I want to be part of that and upskill with that.
0: Yeah, very well said, Luke. Well, Luke, I noticed the time. I'm going to have to let you go here in just a few minutes. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can reach out, get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, uh, so you can reach me. Of course, you go to my website. That's arricor.com, A-R-R-I-C-O-R.com. Or you could just reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, I, I love getting messages from people talking about their projects. Um, you know, Typically, my company helps service uh, enterprise-sized companies. So if you have a ton of data and you have intuition around what you need to do with it, uh, but you're not sure how to go or you just want to ringer for a project, just go ahead and uh, give me a call and we'll see how we can help. Um, as far as that goes... Uh, I've had such a great time with you on this call today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. And as we wrap up, any final words, insights uh, for listeners as they're trying to gra- wrap their mind around this whole idea of AI and machine learning, and what it means for them and their businesses, their careers?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's a big idea. <laughs> I would say uh, uh, for a lot of people, keep an open mind. Don't be afraid of AI. There's a lot of opportunity. It's actually a very, very new field and there's no one knows what to do in it. It is the wild west. So if you're thinking, wow, this big, well-developed industry is going to come through and eat everything, including my business or my job, don't. That's wrong. We're all trying to figure it out still. And you, know, you can be part of that. Your company could be part of that. Your job could be part of that solution. So just keep an open mind to it and uh, don't view it as the big, bad machine, but instead this really amazing hammer we all discovered, and you can pick it up and use it too.
0: I love it. Well said. Thank you, Luke. It has really been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Luke and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.